1: My name's Mike Calvin, I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror, making a welcome debut, David Priest, the former Sunderland and Aberdeen goalkeeper, who's worryingly good at this writing love. So, the title race is underway in Manchester. Two very different teams tied at the top. United, well they're the monster truck. City, the Maserati. Which of them will leave the rest of the Premier League eating dust? Out to you, John.
2: <laughs> I've got to go, City, simply because they were my tip for the title at the start of the season. So I can't change now as quickly as this. And I just love them in the way that they go forward. Um, I, I realise United is also scoring goals for fun and and have absolutely whipped teams, um, you know, especially at the sort of Old Trafford and look really entertaining. But I just love the way that City come at all angles. Aguero, who I have to say maybe he's he's not quite what he was, but he still looks absolutely dynamite to me and and will go down. I think as one of the best strikers in the Premier League era when when we look back upon his career. Uh, and I just think that that partnership that he's he's forming up front with Gabriel Jesus is is great. The Silvers, you know, because they've got options there and Raheem Sterling is is obviously fighting for for his place and uh, he's putting in a fantastic show. He looked absolutely sensational at Watford really Um, and Kevin De Bruyne who seems to be operating from a different midfield position and they're just coming at you from all angles. Yes, we'll worry about the defence and they will concede goals but it seems to me that they'll be so entertaining throughout this season, almost in a if-you-score-two-we-score-three we'll sort of attitude, which I think, actually, we should celebrate rather than sort of detract from on some occasions. Yes,
0: they need to tighten up, but it's a hell of a lot of fun watching them. So it's basically jumpers for goalposts then, David? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've been here before with City, though. Uh, They came out of Traps flying last season. Um, But I think that... Both United and City last year, if you look at the stats, they, they were very wasteful. They created a lot of chances, but they didn't finish them off. And, uh, and I think this season will be a lot different. It, it, it possibly could be a two-horse race. But I think both sides, the, the, the adjustments they've made, especially with Mendy at left-back, I really like him. I think he's going to be a big plus from this season. Um, that might just edge it over, uh, over United this season.
1: Mm. What about you know, the dynamic in the dressing room? A lot of new players come in. Um, how important is it to have good senior pros like Aguero? I thought it was really interesting that he's making a point of trying to mentor Phil Foden, mm. who might actually be one of the players to come from that £200 million academy. How important is it to have people like that and getting the human chemistry of a dressing room right?
0: Yeah, I mean... It- if you're bringing a lot of players in, you're going to, uh, you're going to need time for them to, to gel and it's important for those people who are already in the dressing room just to, just to integrate them and help them get into the side uh, quick and help them to relax so they get into the natural game. I mean, Everton at the moment probably is a classic example of that where they, they've brought in a lot of players and they will have had a thought process where they think, well, this is why we bring these players in. I think a lot of people might think uh, it's naively that they, they've they just brought in players, good players without any forethought, but there will be a sort of thought, thought process there. And I think that coming into a size like Manchester City, you know, Aguero, yesterday, even with the, on uh, Saturday, sorry, with the, the penalty incident with Raheem Sterling. Mm. It looked as if he sort of just quelled a situation that might sort of, that might arise there. But I wonder whether he'd done that if he hadn't already had his no hat <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it didn't take long to Jose to, to wind people up, did he? You know, Everton spent a hundred million pounds, should be going for the top four. Didn't go down well, did it? It didn't, and kuman's had, had his bite back,
2: hasn't he? He's almost along the lines of, mind your own, Jose, thanks very much. Because i tell you what, kuman is under pressure. And, I, I, yeah, that, that team, it was a very, very lame performance, I felt. Yeah. Listen, at 1-0, Everton certainly had the opportunity to come back into the game. And I think that'll be a slight concern to United, that they didn't really kill off the game until the early 83rd minute, did they, when they yeah. had the sort of late goal rush. But I just feel with United, they do have... I think they're beginning to have the sort of the 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 real makeup of a good back four and a settled sort of kind of lineup and setup. Because I felt for so many sort of weeks last season, they went through it, and when they were drawing all those games, the team was being mixed and matched and changed all the time. Partly because of bad luck and injuries, but partly also because he was still searching for the for the winning formula. I do think that sort of he's obviously set up that team as if he's got. I think Valencia scored a fantastic goal you know yesterday but he's he's underrated in in right back terms in my mind he's he's sort of one of the best in the Premier League he's so uh, resilient he's, he's very good very powerful great going forward as well and I just think that the Jones and bay you know when the partnership is doing well, as they have done in the opening weeks of the season, um, when, when people really don't actually t- take too much notice of them. Bay was great last season, didn't really get that much focus or headlines. Why? Because he wasn't making mistakes. He was an unsung hero who I think will get better and better. Mm. The
1: durability factor, David. You know, United have scored nine goals in the last ten minutes. Mm. They they actually overwhelm teams in the end, don't they?
0: Yeah, that's it. And I think we possibly look at the the ninety minutes in the wrong way around. I think it, it, we, we look at it as a sprint, and we want the game finished off as quickly as possible, and and to score early on. Well, possibly we should be looking at it as sort of like a a, a boxing match. You know, it's twelve rounds, some uh, some boxes there. They try and gauge how, how the fight's going to go, and then look to finish things off in the in the last third of the fight. I think that's why they, they can, you look at games incrementally, and I think they manage the games really well. And important to that, really important to that yesterday. I know they said that, that you know Everton, um, Everton were were in the game, and maybe deserved a little bit more. Cummins said they deserved a little bit more, but I th- also think that. Uh, that that United deserved their, their four goals. And simply because the two in front as well. I and mean, We've talked about Valencia's goal. The fact that they had Fellaini and Matic sitting in front, uh, it gives them uh, the both full-backs more licence to get forward. And perhaps if they didn't have those two in front, Valencia wouldn't have found himself in that position so far forward to finish off.
1: Matic is the signing of the season, isn't
2: he? I think he's the signing of the season on many levels because he's strengthened United... I think the fee is still. When we look back, it's, it's ridiculous. 30, Thirty-five it? million. It's completely out of kilter. United did some brilliant early business. Lukaku seventy-five million. And look, we shouldn't. I don't think compare every deal to, to to Neymar, but Neymar because it was a freak deal, and it will still, I think, take some beating. But I still feel that that kind of the game changed a little bit in the market in terms of the market. And I just think that United, through getting that done early, also they just got. Matic over the line just in time before the before the late rush got him installed and there, there was a player and Chelsea have just been too loyal and too rewarding for a player. I like it, it's a nice touch mm. but to give him away to allow him to join one of your main rivals has weakened Chelsea because he was a valuable squad member. People deride him at Chelsea; they soon forget that how many titles he won—two titles in three years. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a very, very strong, solid player, he's Premier League ready. Look at his passing—he's short passing. He, he protects the back four, and then his long-range passing as well. He's, he's an excellent player, and he's exactly the man that whoever plays alongside him. I, I, I guess United thought that start of the season it would be Pogba. You know, nine times out of ten, his, his layoff is a worry. But he can also kind of back up sort of Fellaini and, and the, the, you've got Carrick on the bench as well. So United have got proper options, but Matic, absolutely. If United win this, the, the title this season, then logic tells us that it'll probably have been the signing of the summer.
0: Mm. Most, most talks about the, the, the strife forces that, that both sides have and the, the, the attacking potency they have. I mean, they've scored 25% of all Premier League goals between them already this season. But I think the fact that defensively, people like Matic and uh, the full-backs that have been brought in at, at Man City, they are better defensively. And that's and the, the fact that they've both kept clean sheets this weekend, despite conceding good chances as well. Watford and Everton both had their chances in that game as well. Uh, they've kept clean sheets, so that's a huge plus for them. And what
1: about that depth? You know, you look at Martial, mm. a goal every 31 minutes, I think it is. And is he almost too good at a role which will ultimately frustrate him, i.e. being the impact sub rather than the starter?
0: I think once the season goes on and we, we get further into it, I think there's going to be a, a more reliance on the squad. I think if you look at someone like Kevin De Bruyne now, he, he's just tearing it up now. He's flying. Yeah, he? exactly. And you think that, well, there's going to be some point in the season when he's uh, not going to be as, as influential. But they've also got Bernardo Silva. So I think that'll be a big factor later in the season for how well he comes into the side, and how well influential he can be. But I think uh, even look at the bench yesterday. I didn't. I mean, I mean for attacking options, they probably, I think they had Lingard and uh, Martial, and all right, they, they did make a difference when they came on, and uh, they, they, it's great for them to bring them on in the in the last couple of uh, last twenty minutes or so when they they can break sides that are tiring down. But um, with Martial, I think he, he's. He, he, like I said, he, he's doing really well at the, the job that he's doing, and, and I think that's from his point of view. It's not great from Manchester United's point of view, from Jose Mourinho's point of view. It's brilliant because that's exactly what he wants.
1: Mm. Kuma made the point you know, selfishly. Obviously, it takes time to build mm. a team down. Let's take as a case in point uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan. Mm. He's had a year. He's now already been involved in more goals—six, I think it is—than in the entire season last season. And he's becoming a pivotal player very, very quietly. He
2: is actually, uh, quietly to a point, because I really like him as a player. So I always kept a sort of real keen interest in him, because I, th- I think he was fantastic at Dortmund, in between, sort of breaking in between the lines, breaking forward from midfield. He could sort of play in such different roles that I think he's a very interesting player. And statistically, I think he's always going to be very, very good. But I really like him technically when he's on the ball, he just very rarely wastes the ball. Um, very rarely gives it away and makes a difference, you know, he can spot a pass. And I, th- I think he's lovely to watch and will score goals, I think, as well. Um, I've, again, I think it, it does tend to take time with those with those sort of players sometimes, I think, to, to adapt to the sort of the different style, I think, of the, of the Premier League. But I think Jose, last season, we thought he he bombed him, basically, mm-hmm. and people were beginning to suspect, actually, it, was it Jose signing? Did he fancy him? He'll be out the door, kind of, you know, sort of the next available opportunity. Actually, I think he probably took him out. I think it was after the Manchester derby, wasn't it? And kind of, you know, taught him a, a pretty brutal lesson. But by the same token, actually, probably took him out and said, look, come and watch and see how and bed in and, and develop. And Jose, sometimes I think he can be brutal with his man management. He's clearly annoyed with Pogba, for example, at the moment, mm. isn't he? You can tell. But um, and but Herrera, actually, why isn't Herrera playing? I know that is a strange one because Herrera is, is is fantastic at what he does. He kind of tears around the pitch. But I do wonder whether in that balance of the team, can you can you get them all in? Mm. And that that would be my sort of issue. I don't know whether you know the structure of that team, particularly. I think. Much more with, with with Pogba when Pogba's fit. But I don't know whether he can get them all in, really. And that, that would be a worry for her, because he's such a good player.
0: Yeah, and I think with and the fact that he, sometimes he he was he started out wide and he felt he found himself in wide positions, now he's he finds himself more centrally. And not only that, he's got somebody in front of him who... I think if you look at last season, when he was sliding Ibrahimovic in, he either wasn't getting there or he was offside because he thought he had to get that extra yard ahead of the defender where now they've got somebody uh, in Lukaku who can give defenders a, a yard or two and just slide the ball down the side of them and you can see all the 1v1 chances he's, he's creating for them at the minute.
1: Mm. Just for we own on Lukaku and the broader point about transfer dealing, transfer business. Liverpool kept Coutinho. Everton have patently not replaced Lukaku. Should it have been no more Mr Nice Guy? Should they have left Things as they were and looked after themselves.
0: Possibly, I think the you would have thought that they'd have had a, a, plan, ble- a plan B in, uh, in line for him uh, for, for a striker. Like I said, they haven't replaced him, and, and they're probably going to. It's going to cost them this season. Certainly at the moment, I think they've probably got more uh, more defensive worries really than, than up front. But um, yeah, with I think you've got to, you've got to weigh up the the individual's personality. I think you can see with Coutinho, the way he's reacted to to not going to Barcelona, he's kind of just took it on the chin. You know that you put him in the side, he's still going to uh, be at a a great level. He's not going to sulk. Maybe he's ever thought that Lukaku wasn't worth the risk of that happening to him.
1: Mm. You know, we're in a season which will be defined by the managers, head coaches. Klopp is talking about, my role is to improve players on the training ground. You've got Mourinho, who has this culture almost of incessant demand. I was speaking to Paul Clement recently, where what struck me very much about him was Mourinho consciously put pressure on everyone around him, you know, everywhere within the club.
0: Mm.
1: Is that type of thing decisive? Well, I think he's very, very clever, Mourinho. I mean, I must say at times
2: last season, I wondered whether he'd sort of lost his his, his magic touch and people are now pointing obviously to the to kind of Mourinho's second season sort of uh, familiar theme of basically always making it improving. But I do think he has got this incredible demand, which I think takes up in various guises really. I felt that in the first time in charge at Chelsea, he would always challenge the players to such an extent that the kind of he'd be in many ways, he'd be quite cold with them, but he'd sort of kind of demand the, the sort of respect from them to such an extent that you felt that the sort of the, the lampards, the Terry, whoever it might be, would absolutely run through brick walls for him, and they, and they really would. And again, I just feel that you, you you see in this Mourinho laying down challenges for individual players. He sort of kind of he gave. I thought Martial some tough love last season, and David, I couldn't agree more with you. You know, Martial, even though he's not starting, those players can actually be a key, you know, to to a title-winning success because if you keep them happy and keep them hungry, they, he will get games. I'm sure he will. You know, stars because he's a top quality player, but he just needs to be focused. Mm. And you can see that that Mourinho is piling on that. I, I like sometimes uh, there was a little clip of him sort of interacting with some of the sort of the the. the, the the guys around him sort of in the, in the bench sort of area having a bit of fun yesterday and you just see a different Mourinho he looks happier he looks you know sort of effervescent of course you know he's enjoying a win yesterday but sometimes you don't always get that with a moody brooding Mourinho but he tends to be happy when it's going well and I think that was a classic sign yesterday mm. I think he, he,
0: sorry he, he can't uh, what Mourinho can't do though he can't kid people on I think a lot of managers they kind of just try and keep them happy by saying, "Well, you'll get your chance. Keep playing well, you'll get your chance." I think what he has to do is to make sure that Martial knows that this is your role, but this is how important you are to me, and this is uh, and and I want you to uh, you are part as as important as Lukaku will be over the course of the season.
1: Another coach said to me, a Premier League coach said, "The problem with Jose is that he burns people
0: out." This is it. It's, uh, you know, you talking about the pressure and the stress that he puts players under to perform and that's going to take a toll and especially mentally. And I mean, Chelsea's the, the obvious example, you know, they, they did just look jaded the next season and I think that's the toll. That- and they'd had enough, hadn't they? They'd had enough for the Hector Yeah, exactly. But I think it, as, as long as uh, Mourinho, he... Uh, he takes that on the chin and he admits that and he, and he knows that, right, this is the three years I've got to get the results that I want. So that when afterwards, whatever happens afterwards, whether people are burned out or whether I'm burned out myself, because that happens as well. We, we've seen it with him, you know, he doesn't get his hair cut and he starts looking a bit unkempt and then, <laughs> and then that's his... Don't that we all, mate? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <yeah.
1: laughs> uh, do you see that same distance in, in Guardiola?
2: I think he looks happier because at, t- at times last season I thought he looked so stressed and so. And listen, you'd expect that, but sometimes I think if a manager can't separate that and keep that stress from the dressing room, then it impacts upon the players. And I think that you know you, you raised the point about the sort of the penalty on you know, and that that was kind of good management, sort of because it could have been an issue, mm. but he quickly diffused that. And I think Guardiola, when he's not when he's under pressure and it's not going well for him, I don't think he handles that pressure at all well. And that's a real negative for him. But when it is going well, I I just think that he you know exudes that kind of you, you see him smiling you're talking about sort of him sounding actually genuine when he's talking about so so happy you mm. know in his, in his kind of sound bites and his post-match interviews and actually genuine for a change do
1: you actually believe what you hear in
2: post-match interviews because frankly I don't no I don't really Gen- generally I, it does annoy me sometimes when I think managers haven't seen particular incidents and still come in even when they have they sort of dress it up and, and we had a classic example recently didn't we with Dele Alley and that gesture you know why on earth is Gareth Southgate coming in if he's not seen it? And if he has seen it, well, I'm sorry, but he's been a bit naive to allow sort of Deli Alley to kind of fool him into thinking that. And I think sometimes, I think managers can really bring themselves down a little bit because I think Martinez used to do this at the, when he was in charge at Everton by talking up a performance which for everyone else in the ground can see wasn't good enough, leaves the fans wondering. Is he? Does he actually mean that? Because if he does, then we really are in trouble. Wow. And I think there was an element yesterday with that in Cooman, because I think Kuman was trying to dress that up as a sort of a decent performance. And I was thinking, you've just lost 4-0. Maybe it wasn't a 4-0, in fairness, because they did have sort of chances, but I was still thinking that performance is way off what a club like Everton should be putting up at Old Trafford. Miles off. Yeah,
1: the players see through that.
0: Yeah, but I also think that's... Uh what you see in front of a camera and what you see in the dressing room mm-hmm. is totally different. And, and all the Newcastle is a case in point where Rafa Benitez continually over the summer, whether it was on TV or in, in print, uh, he, he was expressing his his displeasure at what was happening behind the scenes. But I think over the last three or four games, you can see that that's, that's he's, he's not taking that in the dressing room. He's not using it as an excuse. Those players are still buying it or what he's doing on the training pitch. And I think that's, that, that's the, the, the greatness of, of someone like uh, Rafa Benitez, who can distinguish between the both and, and sort of keep them separate.
1: Mm. And I think with Benitez, while we're on Newcastle, it is a distinctive club, as you know really well, David. But the thing that struck me last week was reading that Matt Ritchie, really good player, mm. so five or six assists already this season, sells more shirts for Mike Ashley than Neymar. Discuss, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's the hero worship,
2: isn't it? I mean, it's it's you know it's how much they they love the player, and he's he's a really good player, and it is about the sort of the all-encompassing feel-good factor of it. The other thing about sort of Mike Ashley, I must say, the sort of the tip of the hat was the kind of the bonuses, which you know I don't quite know sort of I've lost track really of what fits in, what doesn't fit into the Premier League rules, but it's clear I think that the sort of Newcastle finally. He did some interesting interviews over the summer, Mike Ashley, in which he obviously admitted some mistakes along the way over how he's managed the club, run the club and, and actually indeed managed managers. And there seemed to be a real kind of, within that bonus structure, a real kind of admission maybe that actually it's about time they got some silverware. And while I think that Newcastle have made a terrific start to the season, um, you know, maybe after a bit of a false start, but they're coming good now and Benitez will always set them up to be difficult to beat I'd love to see them go and get in a bit of silverware. Because a club of that size, you feel the passion, you feel the, you know, the, the, the adulation amongst the supporters when you go up there. It's a fantastic feeling. But why not go and try and target some silverware, you know, sort of in the domestic trophies? I'd love to see that. Because realistically, are they going to finish top four? Probably arguably not. Mm. But for years, they've dismissed the FA Cup, for example, too lightly. Or even the League Cup. Absolutely.
0: We? Yeah, I think with the, with the manager they've got at the moment, they're going to miss a trick if they don't <coughs> back in with the money because I can't see them getting a better manager than Rafa Benitez. Certainly Is he
1: just biding his time to get
0: another opportunity? <sighs> it's a good question because I think he could do that. I mean, it, if, if something, for example, it won't come up, obviously, but if Arsenal came up, I personally, I think that Rafa Benitez would be perfect and because they obviously don't seem to know who they want. Otherwise, I think they, they possibly would have him in place. So until that time comes when something's is a, a, a real number one standout candidate for Arsenal, he would do a great job there. And uh, well, more than a great job, like he showed at Chelsea. Mm.
1: You were at that game, the Chelsea mm. game. Um, is that the sort of performance which convinces you that Arsenal will end up in the top four? I'd
2: never be convinced that Arsenal will end up in the top four this season. I, I think that, I think it's going to be a long, hard season. But what what I think... It convinced me that they will be perhaps in the mix for the top four. I genuinely feel that the the squad isn't is short in very obvious areas. I think particularly midfield. Uh, you know, has he got the balance right in the attacking way? Has he got sort of you know enough quality in the back three, for example? I do think there's sort of obvious questions that left me wondering whether they'd finish outside the top six, let alone the top four. And I still feel that there's a few issues, particularly, I think, Thursday night to the weekend, as well as Arsenal played at Stamford Bridge, and it was a different type of performance. Disciplined, wasn't it? Disciplined, good defensively, strong, passionate, committed, which has all been lacking in in recent away performances. There are away performances at the top six teams, lamentable.
1: Was it a coincidence
2: that Mesut Ozil wasn't playing? No. No, No Ozil, no problem? Not at all. Not at all. I'm sorry, but Ozil, I love Ozil. And he's a brilliant player. I do not understand some of the times that the stick he gets. Of course, he's a world-class player. He's won the World Cup for Germany. I think that immediately makes you a world-class player. But, but also, he's won you know, however many times Germany Player of the Year. But Ozil is brilliant when, when his own team have the ball, when they're in possession, because he then gets the ball. You are wasting your time sometimes to try and get Ozil to track back and win back the ball. And if, if a team is dominating Arsenal, Ozil is a passenger. And I'm afraid to say that on too many away days, Ozil has become that passenger and you can't carry him. And that was the difference. While Iwobi lacked Ozil's world-class quality and perhaps the final ball sometimes, his work rate was much higher, his intensity was much better. And I just felt that Arsenal benefited from that. You could almost make the case playing Ozil at home and leaving him on the bench for away (laughs) games. It was
1: an instruction yesterday. As a goalkeeper, David, do you prefer playing behind a, a back three or an orthodox back four?
0: It wouldn't make a difference to me simply because... See, if you, It's different these days with the, the attack intent that full-backs have, so a lot of the time you'll see both uh, full-backs push further forward, leaving two uh, two set halves But classically, if you're playing four at the back, you'd have one full-back on at one side and the other one tucking round. So really, even with a back four, you're defending with three players. Mm. I think with... Um, with Arsenal, it could have been so much worse last season. Obviously, I look into a lot of stats with with goalkeeping. Obviously, being in my sort of specialty position, and even last year, they massively overperformed when it came to chances. The quality of chances they gave away to Petr Cech saving them. I know there's a lot of criticism, some question marks about him, but it could have been even worse on last season. But that back three, I think they. Teams are better off sticking with the back three, even with uh, you know, Liverpool and uh, and obviously Chelsea as well, and sometimes Man City. I think they're better off sticking with the three at the back just simply because it, it works so well. Sometimes they can be redundant if if a team they're playing against is only playing one up front, but it uh, just gives more licence. And that's why it's better if you've got two either side of a central uh, defender that are more mobile, so more like a, a, a Monreal or Azpilicueta who are uh, used to going in wide areas and attacking so you can use them and, and, and have the benefit of, of them as well. But I think we're, we're like I think Everton played three at the back, but the problem with them is that they've got three centre-halves and mm. they're not as mobile and out in the wide areas, they're not going to be as useful with the ball, uh, it, as, as good as Keane and Williams can be at times.
1: Mm. What did you make of the Chelsea defence, John? Because it seems to me that they're a bit lumpy when Cahill plays.
2: Yeah, I thought Cahill had a strange game because I thought he was very good defensively, but his distribution was quite poor. And I think a lot of their play broke down when, I don't know whether it was because Cahill was a bit rusty, because obviously it was his mm. you know first Premier League game back, wasn't it, um, after, after his ban. And I, I thought that broke down quite a lot. I thought Luis had a very good first half when he, when he was very influential at stopping. But, you know, colleagues around me in the press box told me he was awful, but I didn't see it like that. So it can divide opinion. I thought Aspila I really like Aspila I mean, I think rather like for Arsenal and Monroe, it's given him a r- new lease of life, he reinvented himself. Mm. But it's interesting. Got a good a
1: partnership with, with Morata, hasn't he? There's an understanding growing. Yeah,
2: there, there is. Although I thought Morata had a
1: frustrating
2: game because I just felt that sort of kind of they lacked. Costa's nasty streak and I thought that Mustafi bullied Morata and Mustafi has had a very up and down time at Arsenal but I thought it was arguably was probably his best game actually since he joined the club Mm. um, over a year ago and he played really really well but I just felt that Chelsea they they haven't quite hit hit gear I still think they'll be in the mix I do think it will like you I think it will be a two horse race but I think Chelsea will be on their coattails in the title race but I don't know whether they sort of, kind of, quite found that balance, and sometimes it would be good to have an alternative. And I don't know whether Conte truly trusts Christensen as a as a regular starter, and that would be a concern. Have they got the strength in depth? Talked earlier, didn't you know about sort of loaning players out and kind of you know that whether that works, and uh, you know, Zoom has gone out to Stoke, and I wonder whether Chelsea generally throughout the whole squad have got enough in there. To back up certain key positions, and definitely the back
1: three is one of those. I think. Mm. What about Louise? And, you know, his red card. For me, there wasn't even a question about no, it. No, not at all. Um, are you always looking at a player like that with a little bit, you know, between your fingers? What's he going to do next?
0: Not these days. I mean, obviously in his first spell he was a little bit like that, and you know, I went away to Paris, and he's come back. He's matured as a player. He just seems to be. He's taking on the role of a defender a lot more. I think it's a lot easier for him if he's in that central role and he's got people either side of him. And and that's the when we talk about the, the de- defensive uh, situations of different clubs, liverpool uh, Liverpool, have a lot of criticism. Arsenal, it's about the it's not about the individual players really. It's about the players around them as well because they've got to work as a unit. So if you if you have someone like uh, like you said with uh, with Louise, he has mobile players either side of him most of the time. Who can, uh, who can cover and uh, and can not just sense the danger, but when he goes forward with the ball, they adjust their position accordingly. And I think with, if you go to somebody like Liverpool, they've had a lot of uh, criticism in their set of defenders and in, in the goalkeeping situation as well, but it's they're all related. So if uh, if Mignolet or Carrius have two centre-halves in front of them who are... Um, who are Better protected in the wide areas and in front of them in midfield, then the, the, you know it all go, it, it goes from one department to the other, where they they, they will pass on and be better and uh, have a more positive effect on each other. So it's it's not about individuals or um, say like you know for somebody coming in um, Van Dyke coming in, yeah he, he he's a he's a better centre half, but the fact that you know. He, Will he be any better if he's left uh, with a, uh, unprotected by Moreno out left, and he's left one on one with a lot of space to cover as well? Will he still have the same effect then? So it's all about the players around them. And with Louise, he's he's got those players around him as well.
1: Dave mentioned Van Dyke. Mm. Liverpool really needed him, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, I, I I
2: do think it's partly though to do with with the structure, but of, of the team, and I do think that exposes the back four. But I think the other issue is, are they have they got enough quality in the two centre-halves? And I don't think they have. I think Lovren on his day can be good, but you just don't know what you're going to get from him. And he can be unreliable. They do give you chances. But I thought it was really interesting that uh, I think he did it when he was talking about how Oxlade-Chamberlain might fit into his team structure. And, and the way that Liverpool play and how he saw Oxlade-Chamberlain. But it's quite revealing really in the way that he was sort of assessing how Liverpool play with two number eights. In, in the midfield. And doesn't that say it all, really? I just feel that he sets up a team and they're brilliant going forward. I'm not, I'm not knocking Liverpool, per se, because I think they're great to watch going forward and, and they will score goals, they will entertain. But they always, because of that philosophy, let in goals. And because it, they just don't have that natural... Maybe Kaita might change that, but he's more box-to-box, box, isn't he, again? Mm. And they don't have that natural holding anchor man that will sit while the other one bombs on. They both bomb on. Yeah. And while it's brilliant to watch going forward, I still think that even if they'd signed Van Dyke and got him in, I still think that Van Dyke, as good a player as he is, and I think he's absolutely amazing, it, it, you know would have had his work cut out, even him, to kind of shut out that danger because it's more of a philosophy issue and the way that the team is structured as much as the weaknesses and deficiencies
1: within the individuals in the back four. Mm. You know... We're used to overreaction in football, but I thought this one was a doozy. Clop out. After, was it two defeats since March? Yeah, exactly. What's all that about?
0: Yeah, well, well it is an overreaction, obviously. I mean, people going about the, the volume of shots that they had on uh, on Burnley's goal, and yeah, that's okay if the, the good quality chances created, but I don't think... I think that's sort of the expected goals, which is a little over two goals. So that ends... So, that, yes, they should have won the game, but not, certainly not by the amounts that people are suggesting. I think, yeah, they'll be frustrated by the amount of ball they had. be frustrated that they, they're not creating better chances. But to, to ask for it to be sacked, it's just uh, it's nonsense.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, I know, we were at uh, Wembley last week for mm. Spurs, Dortmund, and hugely impressed. What then do we make of the 0-0 draw with Swansea? I'll tell you what struck me in watching
2: that, on, on uh, the weekend was, for years, a lot of clubs. I think it's almost gone underappreciated. Really, have managed to balance the Premier League demands with with also the Champions League demands, and I don't think that that Saturdays result was as much about the kind of the Wembley hoodoo which you know every newspaper sort of talks about It's an easy line isn't it? It is an easy line but I think it was much more to do with if you play incredibly intense game as it was on Wednesday night one of the best games I've seen in a long time thought the quality was outstanding it was brilliant Dortmund were great to watch they'll be wondering how they lost that game but they did because Spurs were ruthless and they were focused and they were very very good at what they did but that takes I think so much out of players physically and mentally and for years, I think that kind of Man United have done it brilliantly. They've sort of made, been able to juggle that and so play Wednesday night, Saturday, still go out on Saturday, be refreshed and do it. And the, the staple diet of, of English teams in the Champions League have done it. And look, Spurs have had very kind of in and out periods in the Champions League. they sort of surprised us under sort of Harry Redknapp, failed miserably last season, you know, out in the group stage and then quickly followed out of the Europa League because they struggled to balance that. And I think that, you know, one of Pochettino's biggest tasks this season will be to get them back and believing that they can actually get a result on the weekend after a hugely demanding physical game. I think on, on, on you know, on the Wednesday night, for example. That, to me, was much more about Tottenham's weaknesses on Saturday rather than sort of any talk of a Wembley hoodoo. Because also, they had some bad luck, didn't they? should maybe have had a penalty you know, I'm sure that one of, one of the two claims w- w- was genuine, perhaps. They had decent
0: sort of chances, but massive credit to Swansea the way they set up and blocked them, I thought. Mm. I think with Tottenham, I think they won't get many people coming at them in the Premier League the way that Dortmund did. There's not going to be many Premier League sides that are going to leave so much spacing behind like Dortmund did. That's a huge factor. And I think the fact of it with Kyle Walker gone now, I didn't think he'd be as much of a loss, as big of a loss as what he clearly is. The, the fact that sort of if Trippier's is playing, that he, he's getting the ball and he's already high up the pitch, so when he receives the ball, there's, there's not a lot of space to play in behind. People, uh, teams was at the, the, the game against Burnley where they just drop off, don't give any space in behind for them to to run into and to play into, and they, they play around the edge of the box, and it's much easier to to hold them up. Mm.
1: This is where the uh, uh, the listeners and the viewers get involved. Um, we've got a question from Martin Booth. Does the fact that last season the pinnacle for Chelsea was the Premier League and now it's the Champions League explain their lack of intensity against Arsenal?
2: Possibly. I bet I know that Martin Booth, a Chelsea supporter. I bet I know who he he is. is. (laughs) is. (laughs) He's a a really, really fantastic Chelsea fan. Um, But, yeah, possibly. I do feel that that Chelsea with Conte have got this great opportunity, I think, perhaps, to... Uh, do something in the Champions League this season. Um, but t- I mean, it's going to be a difficult group, no, make no mistake about it, but I do think that some of those players will go from winning the Premier League and say, what's the next challenge? And I think sometimes, I also think, as I mentioned before, I think it's difficult sometimes to balance the demands of the Premier League, feeling drained and, and taking it out. And maybe that also it sort of explains. But I, I, I feel that, that Chelsea have they got the strength in depth again to kind of really challenge it on both fronts um, in the the Premier League and in the Champions League and I think that a lot of those players I think will be excited by the new challenge of the Champions League and maybe just maybe that will take out a little bit from their Premier League performances not having European football last season was such a boost whether we like it or not Mm -hmm. Chelsea were the best team by a mile and I'm not taking away from that But I do think it probably impacted, you know, for a good reason last season. Mm. They've got
1: Eden Hazard coming back. They're going to start him against Forest in the League Cup this week.
0: How important is he going to be? Hugely. But also, I think the the fact that uh, Fabregas has played three games in a row now for the first time under Conte. I don't think he would have done that if Costa had been playing. I think the fact that he compliments um, Murata. much better than he does with Costa. That's why he's in the in the side. But you're right about Eden Hazard. That that's going to be uh, it's going to be crucial to what they're going to be doing, uh, especially in the Champions League, because uh, obviously they come against better sides. They're going to be uh, teams are going to be a little bit more defensive against them, and they're going to need him to uh, turn up the key.
1: Mm. Uh, Ian Hamilton asks John: With a better team around him, will Lukaku finally beat Harry Kane to the Golden Boot? Ooh, I don't know. That's a good question. That.
2: I I think Lukaku could be could be so wasteful I think last season and sort of you know despite you know scoring an awful lot of goals he missed probably more chances than Harry Kane actually uh, in in a perverse sort of way but I do think he's got this opportunity to, to do it simply because I think United will create more you know chances for him having those better players around him but just Kane's so deadly. As soon as as soon as the calendar flips and, he, and you're into September, he's just fantastic, isn't he? But at the moment, I just think again you saw a slight hint of that on on, on Saturday that uh, the, he just sort of kind of I don't think he's kind of got into his groove yet. Mm. Having said that, Lukaku, you know that that one on one yesterday where he goes through, you back him absolutely all day long. I do think they are the most exciting and two prolific goal scorers out and out. And I think it will be a sort of a, a real duel between those two again. Yeah,
1: They're the different characters. I, you, know, you look at it, for Lukaku, it's all about him. Mm. Whereas Kane is a much more collegiate figure. You know, bit, you know, maybe doesn't take the adulation that seriously. But Lukaku is selfish. Does the striker need to be selfish?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. And especially when you've got a team like Manchester United creating that many chances... Uh, he, he's always going to be up there in the, the season with Harry Kane. I think the fact that obviously his finishing is exceptional, but around that, his gameplay around that, it, when I watch him play, it's just so simple. And, and when he comes, when it comes to finishing chances, you very rarely see him snatch at chances. Everything is sort of measured. He slows himself down, uh, and he makes it look simple. And I think that's. Sometimes can be that's obviously his biggest strength, but also it can be a bit of a weakness as well. Where, like I said, there's no sort of one exceptional uh, department apart from his finishing. So if he doesn't get in those chances and he's not creating them, uh, he's not getting created for him. Can he create them for himself? Uh, I don't. I'm not sure whether Tottenham can do that or create the volume of chances that Manchester United will for Lukaku. Mm.
1: Uh, Spurs question, John, from Johnny Reed. Now he's like you, not not blaming Wembley mm. uh, per se, but is squad depth. Going to hurt Spurs.
2: Yeah, possibly. I do think. I do think that would be the the, the issue. I, I, they, they've signed sort of certain players to sort of co- So they've well covered in certain departments. But the one thing that sort of struck strikes me is have they got a totally different way of playing sometimes? And you know they've got sort of kind of cover in, in sort of Wanyama for Yedaya and the kind of you, you know in the fullback zones particularly you know, Ben Davis I think has had a terrific start to the season and, you know, he's he's sort of challenging and Rose. But I, I think in signing Lorente perhaps they've got the proper backup for Kane. But I do think whether Spurs, without doubt, if they can get their first eleven out fit and a hundred percent will be up there in the title mix. But if they get two or three injuries, and that schedule suggests that they probably will at some stage or other, I think that's when it tests sort of spurs. And I think it did last season in the autumn, and perhaps even at times during the run in last season. And I was surprised they just didn't get a little, little bit more variety and a few more alternatives rather
1: than sort of kind of light for light back up. Gareth Bale, Tottenham hero and all that. Got a question which uh, came in from uh, Ben Tunnicliffe just before. The Madrid game last night, uh, where he scored, he's a bit of the pressure. But he said, "Do you expect him to return to the Premier League? And if so,
0: where?" It's not all the talks. Always Manchester United, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, it, it's, a, it's about who can afford him as well. Mm.
1: Um, it's surprised.
0: What, what would the fee be? One hundred and fifty. Yeah, minimum, wouldn't it? You think so? I mean, the, the fact that people are talking that he's, you know, he, he's getting booed by the crowd. He's not a big crowd favorite. It, it's, it's just surprising that somebody who's he's won two Champions League titles, and and, and he's not popular, you know, and he's and he's contributed to that a lot as well, like, you know. And you think of somebody like Benzema, who's basically he's he's there to to feed Ronaldo. He's uh, and you would have thought when Ronaldo when that sort of, he starts slowing down and sort of sort of drifts off that. You know that Beale and Benzema and uh, now Isco and they, they can just ease, ease uh, the way into the side and take over his mantle. But I'd be very surprised if he's still there at the end of next season or, uh, at the end of the season.
2: It is. Weird. I, I don't know. It's a real thing of me. It gets in my head because I, I really like watch Bale play and that goal last night. I mean the pace and sort of the clinical finish. It was absolutely fantastic. I don't quite understand what people want because every every squad will have a player that is, you know,
1: liked more by one section of fans than another. For example, is there a perception because he's not fluent in Spanish that he, he doesn't show him enough respect? Yeah. Now, you know, I don't maybe, agree with that. But yeah, is there a maybe
2: maybe that hasn't helped in in many regards and kind of that's still the, the sort of the, the picture painted. But I do think that sometimes we, as a nation, don't fully embrace sort of Brits abroad, if if you like, and maybe sort of not speaking fluent Spanish is part of that. But I just think we, we should also, almost celebrate him. I think he's been a fantastic export. So he's won Champions League after Champions League. He's contributed to, to you know, title victories. He plays in the best team, bar none, in Europe, because they are. Um, and I just don't understand why it's so much of a volume of criticism. I don't quite get it.
0: I, I, I wonder whether it's just, to, it's just to do with his personality, because he's sort of... He's not one who sort of, like, uh, looks for the limelight. He's just... He's just very grounded, re- isn't he? Yeah, really nice guy. But also, I mean, looking back, then you think, well, somebody like Raul, he was exactly the same, just very quiet. Mm. He's very humble. and uh, it, But I think when we look, at, we think of Real Madrid, we think of somebody like Ronaldo, and, and that's sort of like the, the, the brash sort of exterior mm. that, that goes with being, being a player there.
1: Let's look at the other end of the scale. Uh, you've worked in and coached in the academies David. Uh, Max Sterkin said, he talks about Huddersfield closing their academy or certainly going it so they only play at 18s and 23 level. What is the future for academy football?
0: We, we spoke about this before and I, I think personally it's going to get to a stage where you've got the, all the elite clubs will have a lot of players and then below that you're going to have uh, the majority of the clubs um, aren't going to have uh, EU systems simply because they can just do what's been done at Brentford and what they're looking to do at Huddersfield where they just pick up players who were released at 16, 18, 21, 23 and they, they they'll just uh, save uh, save money from having anything below that Simply, and and I can see, from a business point of view okay if you're just looking straight at figures they are going to save money but on the other side of that you haven't got that connection now from the the, the kids who are sitting in the stands thinking well I can be out on that pitch, I can play for this field, that's my dream. That link has been taken out and the, and the dream's been taken away from them because they won't be able to go to that, uh, go straight into that system at nine, ten years old and, and, and progress all the way. Mm. So
2: they're killing the dream? Absolutely, I just feel that part of being Premier League club, part of being a football club, I think, is the community aspect to it and allowing those kids to to dream allowing those kids to be part of your football club look we can all see that basically not every club is producing players and you can immediately talk kind of talk about figures and kind of money spent and the and the return i'm sorry that misses the point i think if you want to kind of join football's elite you've got to give something back you've got to serve that you've got to be respectful to the you know people that are on you know the terraces and sort of stands and support you I just think that was so disappointing. and I Look, Youth Team Football, Academy Football, the under-23s, we talk about it so much. There's clear deficiencies, there's clear issues there. Are we getting the pathway right? Of course not. And it needs an awful lot of work on. But to abandon it completely, I'm sorry. But I, that was so disappointing. It slightly tarnishes the whole, well, more than slightly, tarnishes the whole Huddersfield good, good news story for me. It's so disappointing.
0: I think it's very short-sighted in, in a sense that you know you got clubs like Manchester United who are a global entity, so they can survive without sort of the the, the local fan, the community around them. Clubs like um, my own Sunderland or uh, Huddersfield, they need their football clubs. The community need that connection with the football mm-hmm. club. Look at somewhere like Sunderland. You know, you take somewhere like Nissan out of the the town, you take the football out of the town or the city. Sorry. You don't have anything else, mm. and, and, and it, it, it's, it's a huge part of the community, and then it's it's kind of like a, a duty to the community, to the cities and the towns to have that still
2: have that connection with the clubs. Someone someone put forward your stat yesterday, didn't they? I think Everton did they go past a thousand consecutive games yes, with yeah. with
1: with a you know. I think Manchester like something like three thousand two hundred. Man
2: yeah. United three times as you know more than three times as many mm. games as that. They're two of the biggest clubs, two of the most famous clubs, you know, in, yeah. in, in the country in the world. And, and they understand. I'm sorry, but, you know, that they get
1: it. And that's what is, makes them so successful and so great. Yeah, thanks to Max for pointing this out because I think it's a fundamental issue because it's about belief mm. and that dream. Let's finish with the reality. Crystal Palace. <laughs> no goals. No points.
2: No hope. I think Roy Hodgson gives them hope. Simply because of what he's done before, I do like Roy, and you know, (laughs) this is someone who gave absolute pelters when he was England manager, and he was always kind of respectful and kind of saw him in the summer and he was, you know, in July and he was refreshed and energised. I promise you, he really was. And what he did at West Brom, I thought, was is reason enough to give Crystal Palace sort of some optimism. I mean, they they're, they You know, I know they're breaking records for the, for the winless run, for not scoring goals, and and the next three games is an absolute disaster for them. Um, can you really survive if you lose all eight? You know, to start with, I don't know that you can really. But I think that he will set up that team, but to be harder to beat, they'll nick a point from somewhere. And he did pull off a miracle at Fulham a few years ago. I'd just like to see Roy because he's a nice guy do it, but. There's a lot of reasons why I'm afraid you can't put up an argument.
1: Well, dear R. Roy is such a sad face. With good reason, I'm afraid. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.